0: Hey, it's Gonzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more, and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast.
1: A production of John Konzano's Baldface Truth. Back to the Baldface Truth with John Gonzano on 750 The Game.
0: Is the best if you want to talk Washington football, you want to read Washington football, you want to know what the heck's going on with the Huskies. You read the Seattle Times and you you read Mike Varell, who does a hell of a job covering the team. He's joining us now. Is it sunny and beautiful in Seattle as well, Mike?
1: It is. I think summer started at about noon today, so I'm happy (laughs) we finally made it.
0: It's funny, my 8-year-old said that. She said, summer has started. I said, you have one more day of school. Uh, we got one more day over here. Uh, Let's talk Huskies. I want to take a deep dive here. Just, you know, the immediate, uh, you know, question for me is just the the enthusiasm level for Washington. In the wake of Jimmy Lake's departure and Kalen DeBoer's arrival, how much enthusiasm are you hearing about and feeling for the program right now?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of excitement around the program internally. I think it's one of those things. You know, unsurprisingly, from a national perspective, people look at the record four and eight. You know what happened last season, and they'll kind of overlook the program. But on the inside, you know, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of rhetoric, as you get with a lot of different programs when new coaches come in. But just the idea that this is not a rebuild. That, you know, this is still a program that had all of those top 12 to 15 recruiting classes in 2018, 2019, 2020. A lot of those guys are still on this team, and I think Caleb DeBoer came in and has inspired a lot of confidence. I mean, he's a really genuine person. I think he's a people person and someone who does a really good job of winning those guys, you know, over in in, uh, in quick fashion. And there certainly has been a lot of buy-in. But at the same time, you've talked with a lot of reporters, who cover a lot of programs that said that same thing. So it's kind of, uh, trying to parse how much of that is talk, how much of that is empty enthusiasm, and how much of that is the real deal as the team tries to come back from 4-8. Yeah, and
0: I think, you know, I love I love what DeBoer did, especially at Fresno State. Do you get an idea of kind of what the identity of the program will be already? Well, I, I think it's a lot of
1: what they paid for. You know, when, with Caelan DeBoer, you, when you saw this in the Oregon game last year. They're going to have an exciting offense. They're going to score points. They're going to, you know, the big thing with UW is can they put their best players in positions to succeed? Because that offense last season just could not get going. It just couldn't highlight their playmakers the way that they wanted to. So I I feel like offensively, that's where everything starts. Here Uh, defensively, they want to be a really, really attacking group. I think it's going to come down to with a lot of teams with this one specifically. A year ago, they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't stop the run. Obviously, you need good quarterback play, especially in this offense. If they can't run the ball and they can't stop the run, then they're not going to get a whole lot done. I think that's where they want to start and kind of move out from there and then offensively obviously create a lot of explosive plays.
0: Quarterback position, uh, I, you know, who's going to throw the passes and how, how, how do you feel about that position right now? Well, there's still some debate
1: obviously with that where you go into the fall with a, a three-man competition with Michael Penix Jr. being the transfer from Indiana and then obviously Dylan Morris who was the starter last year Sam Heward, who's a five-star redshirt freshman, I think you, you know it'd be hard to imagine for me a guy like Michael Pennock coming over where he had a lot of success at Indiana in an offense where um, Kalen DeBoer was the offensive coordinator. If he's healthy, it'd be hard for me to imagine him coming in as a junior and not being the starter. Now, with that said, this is a guy who's never played more than six games in a season because he's had all kinds of different injuries. So if you're a Sam Huard or if you're a Dylan Morris, it's a cliche to say you're always one play away, but that really is the truth more in Washington than a lot of other places. So I I expect Penix to be the day one starter. Um, but who knows who will start you know, the, the last game of the season against Washington State.
0: How do you see Penix fitting in the DeBoer's system? Because you know, we saw what he did with Jake Hayner at Fresno State. I think Penix is a heck of a player. You're right, if they can keep him healthy. But how does he sort of fit what DeBoer wants to do? I think he fits well. I, I think he's a guy
1: who, if you want to question something in his game, you know, I don't know how consistent he's been throwing the deep ball over the course of his career in Indiana. But with DeBoer, with, with quick completions, easy completions, moving the ball, I think a lot of what they want to do is you know, having a guy under center who really understands the offense and gets the ball out. And he's very effective at doing that. He was very effective at doing that with Taylor and DeBoer. In the lone season, they were together at Indiana. He completed 68% of his passes. That's what they want. They want a guy who's going to get the ball into the hands of their playmakers and let them operate with him. It's just a matter of, of you know how consistently he can do that and if he can stay healthy doing it over the course of the season.
0: Jimmy Lake's departure still you know kind of lingering and you know I, I look back to what happened last season and how valuable continuity was. Mike, in your opinion, at what point did Jimmy sort of lose the job? I know they eventually part ways, but in your mind, where did he lose his hold on the job?
1: That's a great question. I, I think, you know, the Montana loss being obviously, you, uh, you can make a very strong case for the worst loss in the history of the program. That's a, a major red flag. With that said, they're not going to fire a guy after losing one game, uh, you know, after being 3-1 and one the previous year. I, I think you can see cracks in the foundation at that point. But I don't think from, from a Jen Cohen perspective, from an organizational perspective, that he lost his job really before that Oregon week with the... Academic comments about Oregon that were, you know, certainly misplaced and then doing what he did with the sideline incident. I think it was trending in that direction. It would have been interesting to see what had happened after the season. But the combination of those factors, you know, forced Jen Cohen and company to move
0: on. Mike Varrell, Seattle Times is with us. You did a really nice profile of Kalen DeBoer, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I love this quote. You can coach out of fear, but you can coach out of love, too. What kind of guy is he?
1: You know, there's a lot of uh, Chris Peterson comparisons with Kalen DeBoer, which, uh, you know, some are earned, some are probably not. There's really only one Chris Peterson, and you know that. But this is another guy where I, I, get, I get it. He's someone who doesn't yell. He doesn't really raise his voice. He doesn't really swear. He comes from that South Dakota kind of small-town uh, culture. Um, but there's just something about him when you talk to him. He's very engaging. He looks you in the eye. You feel something there. And I think he really does a good job of motivating kids without having to push certain buttons. That but I think, you know, Jimmy Lake was more of a rah-rah, fiery motivator. And Kalen DeBoer gets the job done there but does it in more of a subtle way and more of a, maybe more of a genuine way um, than a lot of coaches you're going to see. So how is that going to translate? There's a lot of questions with him at UW, and and recruiting is probably the biggest one. Can he win those battles against the Oregons and the USC's? But you certainly see when you get to know him what the appeal is and how this guy has been so successful in so many places.
0: Mike Farrell, Seattle Times, with us talking about Washington football. Uh, I know that the program has gotten a lot of criticism in recent years for not keeping high school kids uh, home, so to speak. Jacob Blaine, uh, pull y'all up, kid. Edge rusher uh, commits to Washington. Uh, twenty twenty three class, six five two thirty. That's a big win for Deboer. Was that a sigh of relief moment, or let's see some more?
1: Yeah, I think it was more of the latter. I mean, Jacob Blaine is a good get and a guy who could be a real steal because his his testing numbers. He's got you know he's six five two thirty and really run can really jump, but he's a raw prospect. He's not one of the premier uh, recruits in the state when it comes to a rankings prospect or, you know, the expectation that he'll play right away. Um, Certainly when you've lost a Josh Connolly Jr. to the the rival school in the last class, a lot of this is, you know, things that you have to sort of undo and it's going to take some time for this staff to really get the kids locally to believe in them and to understand the vision. I think they're doing a good job. They're trying to set the foundation but it's going to take time. And it's going to take wins. and It's going to get take uh, you know just just uh, a season or two seasons or three seasons of really building that continuity and that culture. Um, but but no doubt, outside of maybe California, the state of Washington is the major priority for the staff.
0: Mike Farrell, Seattle Times, with us. Uh, Mike, before I cut you loose here, uh, we offense was an issue last year. Defensively, is the core of this defense intact from the last couple years? How did the transfer portal treat Washington with the departure of a coach?
1: You know, I don't think that there was too much concern in terms of the portal. When you look at the, the programs, you know, surrounding Washington, a lot of, you know, ones nationally, really not too many guys left. You had a guy like a Jacoby Covington, who was a big-time recruit at corner, who went to USC, but he did so because he wasn't, you know, projected as being a starter at Washington. Um, you obviously had, had a starter in Sam Tamani go to Oregon on the defensive line, which is unfortunate. You really, this group is going to have to reload a little bit, and they've done so in the transfer portal, especially at, at the linebacker position, where Eddie Uefosio, one of their standouts, uh, may miss some games with an injury this season. They pick up a Cam Bright from Pittsburgh. They, they pick up a Christopher Mole from UAB. They've reloaded there. They, they, they think quietly that they've still got a lot of talent at cornerback, even though you lose two draft guys in Trent McDuffie and Tyler Gordon, it's going to be an interesting sort of mishmash of returners, transfers, and young players who need to step up. So there's certainly some questions there, um, but it's a matter of how these guys are going to gel and how they're all, they're all going to fit into this new system.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. Now, here here it is, Mike. Here's the question everybody wants to know. Oregon's got a new coach, not sure – about Washington State, I think they're going to be dangerous. Like they could be good. They could flirt around with maybe getting to the title game. But I'm I'm hearing more and more people ask me about Washington. Do you think there's a shot that Kalen DeBoer could be a surprise in year one? Could this team contend for a Pac-12 uh, birth to the Pac-12 championship game?
1: Yeah, I think it's a possibility. I, you know, when when they say that, you know, it it is a bit of a cliche, but when when they tell their guys and they tell the public, you know, this isn't a rebuild. That's not that's not the mindset. I, I, I think they're being genuine. It's a matter of how things come together. I think UW may have the biggest chasm between ceiling and floor in the Pac-12, where obviously with a lot of these same players, you saw a 4 game season where very little went right. But at the same time, you've got a lot of really talented kids, and you've brought in some talent via the portal. You've got a fresh system, and you've got a staff where you feel like, You know, they haven't been on this level, but it seems like a group of coaches who really know what they're doing. Um, So, you know, I would say that an eight-win season wouldn't surprise me. A nine-win season is probably, you know, near near the top of their ceiling. And it just is – not just as easily, but it certainly could go the other way, where this could be a six-win team, it could be a five-win team. If things really fall apart, it could be a four-win team. We certainly saw that last year. But I think – You know, there's a a bigger extreme between the potential positive and negative at this program, maybe more so than any other one in the Pac-12.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And I like their schedule. I don't believe they play Utah or USC in the regular season. Is that right? They skip them both. That's
1: correct, yeah. They've got some things going their way where obviously they've got the premier non-conference game against Michigan State at home. You get Stanford at home. You know, you, you go on the road at UCLA, which should be a tricky game. Arizona State's probably a little bit down. Um, and obviously you have Oregon on the road, which is never easy. Um, but they, you know, being able to avoid a USC and avoid a Utah in the South, you know, obviously creates some some major advantages, and we'll see if they can take advantage of those.
0: I think it's going to be fascinating. Mike, I appreciate you, man. Good stuff. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mike Verrell. Read him in the Seattle Times. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thanks, John.
0: Good stuff there. Rich stuff. He is the go-to on that Washington football beat among the writers. And I think, you know, if you're looking at Washington this season as a potential sleeper, there are a couple things that have to break their way. Michael Penix Jr. has got to stay healthy, and he hasn't been able to do that at any point of his career. They can keep him healthy, keep him upright, they got a shot. I like and I often have seen cases where quarterbacks and head coaches – and maybe even quarterbacks who haven't done well. Darren Thomas comes to mind with the arrival of Chip Kelly when he sort of got paired with Chip Kelly. All of a sudden, Darren Thomas was a different quarterback. Dennis Dixon had some success as well uh, in that setting when he got with Chip Kelly. So I think if you can get Michael Penix Jr. with Kalen DeBoer and keep him healthy, he got something there. I also think it's a different uh, – I don't want to call it a rebuild either, but it's a different reset at Washington – under Kalen DeBoer than it would be if you were starting all the way over. They did retain the core of Jimmy Lake's teams. They have players who had already been through one coaching change, and and here they came and got got disrupted. They went from Chris Peterson to Jimmy Lake to Kalen DeBoer in a very short period of time. And so I think they're going to be a little better than you would expect them to be because of that. They have more continuity than maybe we expect. But then the schedule is interesting. If you keep Penix Jr. healthy, if you do capitalize on that continuity, and you don't have to play Washington, I'm excuse me, you don't have, Washington doesn't have to play Utah or USC in the regular season, it, there's about a game to a game and a half advantage there, at least a half game advantage over some of their North Division, so to speak, counterparts. You know, they don't, you know, they don't have, uh, like, Oregon State has to play those teams. Like, the three best teams in the Pac-12, or the three most dangerous teams in the Pac-12 are Utah, USC, and Oregon. Those are the teams nobody wants to play. And those are the teams that the Pac-12 Conference has gamed the schedule to favor or benefit. So if you're Washington and you don't have to play two of those three, and Oregon State has to play all three, and Washington State has to play all three, and Oregon only has to play one, they only play Utah in the regular season, Um, you've got an advantage over Washington State and Oregon State if you're Washington. It could tip the scales their way if it's close in what has been perceived to be the North Division. Pac-12 Conference will update us uh, as Media Day approaches in July as to whether or not the divisions will get thrown out altogether sooner rather than later. I know they're going to throw them out later, but there's some speculation that the conference could accelerate that to this season. Why not? Leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth statewide. I'll play some Punch Audio and more coming up.
1: We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement
0: from the bald Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but...